We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 173 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. Of course, I am a writer for Cheesehead TV, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. It's crazy for me to think that we are already approaching episode 200 very quickly. And before we start into anything today, I wanted to first take the time to really thank all of our listeners. First of all, this past week has been our most listened to week of all time. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Monday and Tuesday uh, were our most two listened to podcasts that we've ever had. Of course, uh, on Tuesday, we had the news that Matt LaFleur had been announced as the new head coach. And on Monday, we were lucky enough and timely enough to have uh, both Michelle Bruton and myself talking about Matt LaFleur the day that he actually got hired. So we uh, we were a little bit lucky on our timing there, but our two most listened to podcasts of all time. So thank you for that. And really just thank you so much for taking a part of your day to listen to us and be part of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have any listeners. And without you, this would all be very, very pointless. So thank you so much. We greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you are enjoying the podcast, maybe you're new to it. Um, Maybe you haven't had a chance to to listen to us before, but now you're really starting to get into it. Or maybe you've been one of our loyal longtime listeners, whatever the case may be. If you have a chance, make sure to go out and tell a friend, subscribe, rate us, comment, 
any, any of those things, they may seem sort of simple. They may seem, you know, like they wouldn't have that make that much of a difference, but it really does help us out a ton. Um, obviously the more listeners and subscribers we get, obviously that helps us out a lot. And, and we just really appreciate any help that you guys can do on that end uh, to help support this podcast. Obviously at this time, we don't have any advertisement and, uh, you know, we aren't making money off of this. This is a labor of love. And obviously some, at some point we would love to have, you know, a sponsor and an advertiser and things like that. And maybe that will come over, you know, over time, maybe it won't, we'll see what things bring, but I just want to thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, you know, anything that you guys can do to, again, tell a friend, to, uh, you know, tell people about it on Twitter or social media, uh, it just helps us out a ton. So thanks so much for that. And again, most importantly, just thanks for being such amazing listeners and being a part of this every single day. We greatly appreciate it. Moving along, uh, as you can probably tell, I do not have any special guests today. If you listened yesterday on my podcast with Zach, I did mention that I've been efforting a pretty special guest. I've been communicating with that person more today, and I hope to have an update very soon. I believe we are going to be doing a special podcast at some point this week. It might have to be in a bonus episode or something, but uh, that'll be really, really exciting if it does come to fruition. So something to keep an eye on, a little bit of a tease there, and, and who knows if it'll happen or not, but if it does, I think it'll be very exciting, and I think you'll be uh excited to listen to that. But again, as of today, uh, no special guests, uh, but I have a, I've had a plan of what I've kind of wanted to do with this episode for some time. So this is going to be one of my favorite episodes that I've, I've done, even though I'm kind of flying solo today, and I'll get back to that in just a moment. What I'm going to be doing first is just kind of giving you some of the news that's kind of been going around today. Um, after we kind of go over some of that news, I'm also going to be kicking off a series where we kind of take a look back at the season position by position and really as a team and kind of give our analysis as the Pack-A-Day podcast team on every aspect of the Packers. We're going to be breaking it down position by position. We'll break down the coaching. We're even going to break down Brian Gutekunst and kind of what he did over this past season. So that's going to kick off today. I'm going to give my overarching grades for both the offense and the defense. And then uh, starting tomorrow, Ross Uglum and Jacob Morley will be going more in-depth with their analysis, starting with the quarterbacks. And then we'll go running back, receiver, tight end, and so on and so forth and kind of until we finish up this series. So very excited to be able to kick that off. And uh, I think you guys are all going to enjoy listening to this quite a bit. For those of you who've been with us from the very beginning, our very first thing that we did were bonus episodes before we even kicked off episode one. They were kind of us getting our training wheels on or off, however you want to put it. And uh, we did a position by position analysis of breaking down the season, how we expected it to go. So we're going to kind of wrap that up uh, with our, our series here and, and kind of break down how the season went and maybe some of the, the differences from what we expected going in. Before we again uh, jump into my grades for today, I did want to go over those noteworthy items that happened over the course of the day today. There were some more uh, news in the Packers coaching rumor mill. Uh, but of course, we start off with Patriots and Saints advancing in their respective divisional playoff games. Of course, that's going to set up Rams, Saints, and Patriots, Chiefs next week. Really the most noteworthy item for Packers fans here is unfortunately it means that that Saints pick will now be in the 30s for sure. Uh, we know if they lose next week, it'll be pick 30. If they lose in the Super Bowl, it'll be pick 31. And of course, if they win in the Super Bowl, it'll be pick 32. So we know unequivocally, it'll either be pick 30, 31, or 32. And of course, we will know more over the course of the next few weeks on exactly where that is. But again, it will for sure be in the 30s. What was once a really exciting lottery ticket could have been anywhere between 1 and 32. And of course, we pretty much knew that it probably wasn't going to be a top 10 pick. The Saints were always expected to be a pretty solid team this year. Even if Drew Brees went down, they went out and got Teddy Bridgewater, which you would expect them still to be around a 500 team in that case. So 
it was never expected to be this top 10 pick, but maybe, you know, pick 18, 22, 26. Uh, those all would have been fairly nice picks. Not that pick 30, 31, 32 isn't a bad pick, but unfortunately, like everything else this Packers season, it just came up a little short of expectation. And of course, it'll now again be in the 30s for sure. Other news today, James Campen. If you listened to Zach and I yesterday, we touched base a little bit on how James Campen was taking interviews with other teams. Well, it did not take him long to find a new position. Uh, he will now be the Browns offensive line and associate head coach. So Green Bay East continues with that Green Bay to Cleveland, uh, you know, caravan, if you will. And uh, yeah, he's going to make a great addition for the Cleveland Browns. No question there. Um, you know, he was not under contract with the Packers. So this was not a, a situation where Lafleur came in and terminated him. Uh, this was a position where he was basically a free agent as a coach. Uh, he had the ability to interview anywhere that he wanted. Nothing's really come out, at least that I've seen yet, that Green Bay was, you know, working hard to bring him back. Not sure if they wanted him back, if they didn't want him back. Not sure if, you know, James Campen just kind of wanted to, you know, sever ties since it was, uh, you know, kind of a changing of the guard. Uh, he was a Mike McCarthy carryover, but, uh, you know, for those who don't know, he was actually brought in by Mike Sherman. So he's been with the team actually pre Mike McCarthy. So he's not just necessarily one of Mike McCarthy's guys. And he has thought of very highly uh, throughout the league. Of course, he was credited with helping develop players like Josh Sitton, David Bakhtiari, TJ Lang, Corey Lindsley, JC Treader, Lane Taylor, just to name a few. Uh, and he's had a lot of success. Of course, there's always going to be the flip side. And he's had opportunities with, say, a Jason Spriggs, who was a high second round pick who never really turned out. But uh, I think overall, his record speaks for itself and the fact that he had so many potential suitors as soon as his contract was up. And not only did he get another offensive line coaching job, but he also, again, got that associate head coaching position. So he got uh, a raise uh, almost assuredly and certainly a, a position and a title increase with his move to the Browns. So again, that that Green Bay East train continues over to Cleveland, and uh, I'm sure he will do a fantastic job there. And then uh, really kind of continuing with some of the news that we've been talking about from an offensive coordinator position and continuing with that Cleveland idea, Todd Monken was a, a head coaching candidate for the Packers. Uh, from all reports, he was the runner-up for the off, for the head coach position behind Matt LaFleur. He was the, the most intriguing of the candidates outside of Matt LaFleur. And uh, they were looking at him to potentially be the offensive coordinator. He had an interview with Matt LaFleur uh, this last week. And uh, again, we don't know if he was a top choice of Matt LaFleur or if uh, maybe LaFleur wanted to go in another direction. We don't have a, a ton of detail there. But what we do know now for sure is that he will also be heading to the Browns as their offensive coordinator. So I know some people will be very bummed out by that. And I know a lot of people who wanted him as the offensive coordinator. And there's a lot of reasons why. He was really credited with creating a high-powered offense that specialized in explosive plays. And he was able to accomplish that even though he had to switch between, uh, you know, Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback this past year. Deshaun Jackson was out with injury at times. They did have weapons on offense, but this was a, an offense that was able to consistently generate some really big plays, some really explosive plays, and probably would have paired well with Matt LaFleur, bringing some different ideas from what LaFleur has. And then obviously, you know, joining uh, with Aaron Rodgers and, and wanting to create those big plays. So I can see why a lot of people would be disappointed by that. And of course, you know, I think one of the things that I brought up yesterday with, with Zach Jacobson is that he was a hot coaching candidate this year. And of course there were eight, eight positions that were open and, and he didn't end up getting one, but 
by all intents, he he uh, interviewed very well. And if he had a great season with the Packers this year, I think he probably would get a head coaching job, whether it be in, in college or whether it be in the pros next year. So had they hired him, it may have only been a, a one-year thing and maybe having some more consistency there would have been better. But either way, he will not be the Packers offensive coordinator. Again, he will be heading to Cleveland along with James Campen and a lot of other former Packer personalities. This would maybe indicate that Nathaniel Hackett is now the leader in the clubhouse for the position. Again, nothing reported yet. We don't really know of any other interested candidates that Matt LaFleur has at this time. The two that had been reported for interviews were Todd Monken and, of course, Nathaniel Hackett. Um, they had also been you know, interested in, in some of the personnel from the 49ers staff, including his brother. And, uh, you know, the, unfortunately, Kyle Shanahan blocked both of those. Uh, but, uh, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's really the only name left of, that's reported uh, that there's been reported interest in uh, that's still out there. So we'll see if there's an announcement soon on that. Uh, Hackett definitely brings a lot of experience to the table and would be an intriguing hire. And of course, we'll break that down in, in greater detail if he actually gets the position, but certainly something to keep an eye on going forward now that Todd Monken is going to Cleveland. David Rye, uh, who had been let go as receivers coach of the Packers, landed a receiving coach position today with the Arizona Cardinals, so it did not take him long to find a new position at all. Uh, he may or may not get a chance to coach Larry Fitzgerald, depending on what Fitzgerald does this offseason and whether he retires or not, so we'll see what happens there. And then from a special teams position, uh, Tom Pelissero did report that Darren Rizzi, the highly respected special teams coach for the Miami Dolphins, uh, is now being allowed to interview for other positions around the league. Uh, he had actually interviewed for the Dolphins head coaching position. Now that they're moving forward with Brian Flores, they have allowed him to interview with other teams. And it has been reported by Tom Pelissero that both Green Bay and Minnesota have already expressed interest in interviewing him. So uh, he could really be a name to watch for. He would be a really fantastic get as a special teams coach. Um, first of all, uh, he's well-respected around the league. This past eight seasons, he's been the, the special teams coordinator for the Dolphins. So he has lasted through multiple regimes there in Miami. Since he's been promoted, the Dolphins have led the NFL in punt blocks with 11 and are second in the NFL during that time frame in overall blocks with 22. So it's a, a special teams unit that's able to get a lot of pressure on both the field goal and punt teams of the opposing team. And then I think another thing that I've been talking about and we've been talking about about these assistant coaches is you want them to have some head coaching experience because again, Matt LaFleur lacks in that area. And Rizzi has actually had four years of head coaching experience as the head coach of the University of Rhode Island. It was a little while back, and it's not like Rhode Island is this powerhouse college, but again, helps fill in some of those experience gaps. The fact that he's been a head coach in the past, I think he would be make a very great fit as a special teams coordinator for the Packers and certainly be a major, major uh, you know, increase in productivity from what we saw over the course of the last couple of years and really going back for a while now. Uh, the special teams has been a real issue, and hopefully he'd be able to come in and fix that. Sounds like Green Bay may have you know, some competition with him, uh, you know, for his services, I should say, but uh, that would be a very exciting hire if they could land him. Moving along to our main topic for today, and that's going to be my player grades for the season. Now, I want to first kind of give you an idea of how I go through grading the plays, how I, you know, go through grading the Packers. And this is really a pet project of mine for the past couple seasons now. And I really want you, before I jump into the grades, to kind of understand how I go about doing that, what these grades are, what they're not. Because I think without understanding the process, you know, you may or may not have a great idea of what, what, what value these grades actually have. So first and foremost, this is a way that I go through 
and grade every single Packer on every single play, both on offense and defense. It does not include special teams. So I'm using the all 22 film uh, from NFL Game Pass. And I really start on Monday night every week. And it usually lasts, you know, up until Friday morning when I post the grades on cheeseheadtv.com. From about 8 p.m. until about midnight to 1 a.m. every single night, again, Monday through Thursday, I am breaking down film, capturing video, and uh, towards the end of the week on Thursday more than putting the article together and, and posting my article, my thoughts, my grades, and my review for the entire week. And I did that for 17 weeks straight, including on the bye week where I did a, a huge breakdown on both Blake Martinez and Haha Clinton Dix right before Haha ha had been traded. So, you know, all in all, this was about 400 plus hours right around there uh, of breaking down film, analyzing film. When I go through and I watch a play, the vast majority of the time I watch it at least 11 times and it's watching every single player on that play. A lot of times I watch it more than that because I'm watching it from two different angles. If you're not familiar with the all 22 tape, you see one angle, you see the sideline angle. And then they play the play, and then uh, and then I watch the end zone angle. So I'm watching each player on all of that. Obviously, the, from the sideline angle, I'm more focused on the quarterback, the receivers uh, on offense, the tight ends, people who are running routes. Whereas from the end zone angle, again, I focus on the quarterback there as well, as well more on the offensive line and on the running backs. Flip it around for the defense. Obviously, the sideline, I'm focused more on the safeties, the cornerbacks, anyone that's in coverage. And then from the end zone angle, I'm usually more focused on, uh, you know, whether it be the inside linebackers, the edge rushers, and the interior defenders. It's not always the case. It doesn't always work that way. There's certain plays where it's a, a quick bubble screen to the side, and uh, you pretty much have to grade the quarterback, the the receiver who caught it, and uh, you know the the maybe the receiver that's blocking for him. And it, it takes a couple watch throughs, and you have your grade pretty much done. There's other plays where I've probably watched the play, you know, 30, 40 times because, you know, it takes a while to decipher exactly what the offense is or defense is trying to do on the play, what each player's assignment is. And, and then again, going through and grading it from both angles. And there's times, a lot of time where I have to go back and I have to do initial research and, and even go back and watch the game film just to see who a player might actually be. Sometimes the Chicago Bears uh, all 22 film is known for being horrendous. You can barely see the players sometimes. So sometimes you have to go back and watch the actual uh, you know, camera footage from the game to actually see which player you're actually grading on the play as well. So there's a lot that goes into it. And, uh, you know, what I'm really focusing on here are individual matchups. And I rate a player on every single play from negative two to positive two. And on the vast majority of plays, the score is usually a pretty neutral grade, either a straight zero or a negative 0.1 to a positive 0.1. On most plays, you know, people are doing their job and it's nothing, you know, fantastic. It's nothing horrible. It's usually a neutral grade. But on those plays where there is a, a solid effort or there is a major positive grade, maybe somebody scored a touchdown, maybe it was a game-changing interception. Again, it can go as high as positive two and as low as negative two. Again, these are grades for offense, defense, and two-point conversions only. No special teams plays are graded. So when I'm grading Ty Montgomery, I'm not you know, grading his, his uh, atrocious fumble against the Rams that potentially cost the Packers a, a game. That would have been a negative two grade on that play had I have graded that specific play. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, uh, or I guess fortunately for Ty Montgomery, this is only offense, defense, and two-point conversions. 
you know, I'm not grading a player negatively if I'm not certain who's at fault. And I know there's a, a lot of players or a lot of people, I should say, that will say, well, you can't grade a player if you don't know what the play call is or what their responsibility is on a play. And I'm not really necessarily looking to grade how they did with their, you know, responsibility on a play. And again, some of those things I'm not going to be able to tell. You can glean a lot, first of all, from watching every play throughout the season of what they're trying to accomplish. Most plays, you know, on defense, it's not always the case, but a lot of times plays mirror themselves. You know, if if a corner's doing something on one side of the field, a lot of times he's doing the exact same on the opposite side of the field. And uh, again, you, it's fairly easy to tell on most plays what each player is trying to accomplish, but that's not always the case. And if I can't tell on a specific play who is at fault or whose responsibility it was, I'm not grading that specific player and I'm not giving them a negative grade on on something that I obviously can't tell just from watching the tape. And I'm going to get more into that in Aaron Rodgers in just a moment and and how his grade kind of fell out. But um, I'm not grading or downgrading somebody on something that I can't tell. I'm focused on individual matchups. So what I mean by that is the right tackle is going against the left defensive end. It's obviously a one-on-one situation who came out on top, a receiver and a cornerback or in a man-to-man situation and the the quarterback throws the ball. It's a one-on-one, it's a man-to-man situation, who did better in that specific result. So again, I'm not necessarily looking to grade assignments. My, My grades would differ obviously from a coach who knows the play and knows the assignment, knows the progression for the quarterback. This is grading those individual matchups. And really, it's a long-term approach to grading. It's every play, again, throughout the course of the season. Did I get everything perfect on every play? Absolutely not. But over the course of over 2,000 snaps throughout the course of the year, you can unequivocally tell who's struggling, who's doing well, who's not doing well, et cetera, et cetera. They're not perfect. They're not the be-all, end-all. Just because I think somebody performed poorly, does that mean that that's the you know unequivocal, you know, stopping point and that we can end the discussion right there. They're a bad player. It absolutely does not. I'm sure bias creeps in, although I try my absolute best to, to not have that creep in. I think what helps is that, uh, I, you know, I'm a, at the end of the day, while I do a lot of analysis and TV and radio and, and writing for Cheesehead TV, at the end of the day, I, I'm a fan of the Packers and I want them to do well. So, you know, yes, there are, you know, plays where I have to grade people negatively, but I'm not looking to grade somebody down. In fact, I'm hoping that they turn things around and do better. So um, I'm, I'm hoping bias doesn't play a part, but I'm sure over the course of the the year when you're grading this many plays, I'm sure it pops its ugly head from time to time simply because there's human error involved with that. So it's not perfect, but I think there's a ton of value in it. And really, there's only a couple of places to get this type of work. Of course, you can go to Pro Football Focus where they have teams of individuals and they pump out the grades immediately. And there, a lot of times they're using the, uh, the the camera film. They're not able to go to the all 22 because they want to get those grades out so quickly. And uh, again, you're not having just one person that's going through those grades. They're trying to get it out so fast that they have multiple people working on it. And I, I'm saying this saying that I, lo- I love pro football focus. I think what they do is phenomenal, but it's a different way of looking at things. I know Bob McGinn does some grades as well. However, um, I, I don't believe, and I don't want to quote this and say Bob does it. I don't believe he goes through every player and every play and grades that I think he's looking for more overarching themes. But either way, you know, Bob does a really nice job on that. And then, of course, there's mine, where you, again, are getting the same person that grades every player throughout the season. And, uh, again, hopefully there, there's value in that. I think there definitely is. And uh, it's one set of eyes, and I'm looking for the trends, and I'm grading everyone the same way throughout the course of the season. So I do think there's a lot of value in that. Of course, I'm a little biased there as well, but that's kind of how I get to my grades. 
And uh, I've done this for two seasons now. And uh, this was my second season doing it. I was hoping for a little bit better success from the Packers over the course of those last two seasons. Uh, certainly watching a half a season of Brett Hundley and grading that was not the most fun in the world and getting to the point where the Packers were eliminated this year uh, wasn't super fun after that either. But there's so much to glean. You know, the Tyler Lancasters of the world were super fun to watch uh, as the season progressed. Tony Brown was another player. So we'll get into that in just a moment. And, you know, kind of without further ado, I'll jump into a lot of different categories. This probably isn't for the faint at heart. Um, all of this is available on Cheesehead TV via written form as well. So if you want to check it out there, you can. But let's t- kind of take a look at it. And I'm going to start really with my highest graded offensive players. So most of these categories are going to have three to five different players that I've, I'm highlighting here. And uh, I'll start again with my highest graded offensive players for the year. Coming in at number one with no surprise is Devontae Adams. Number two is David Bakhtiari. Number three was Aaron Rodgers. Four was Corey Lindsley. And five was Aaron Jones. And I don't think there's, again, a ton of surprise here. I've said all season long that this team has eight really good players, and those five are all part of that. There's three on defense that I'll get to in just a moment. But these are the green, the, the Packers standouts on offense. Would have loved to see Aaron Jones play a little bit more early in the year and obviously not get banged up and be able to finish the year healthy. But uh, he had a fantastic season. Uh, Devontae Adams, unequivocally to me, the team MVP, he was fantastic from start of the year to end of the year, uh, just a phenomenal year. And uh, he was completely deserving uh, of uh, every piece of recognition that he got, in my opinion, probably should have been an all pro. And uh, of course, there's a lot of great receivers in this league, but he, he was the MVP of this team. I do want to touch base on Aaron Rodgers, and, and I'll kind of break this down as best as I can in this category right here. Aaron Rodgers is a very difficult player to grade. Both Pro Football Focus and I had very high grades on him, uh, despite him having a season that he probably didn't reach, uh, you know, his expectations of himself. And I think uh, the expectations that the Packers had for him and a lot of fans had for him. And whether that was a solid season, a bad season, an average season, a great season, it's tough to exactly define, you know, when you're talking about somebody who has performed as one of the greatest of all time and uh, didn't do that this year. And of course, the knee injury played a part. I think he re-injured himself, you know, as the season went along because there was another dip as, you know, midway through the season. And, uh, you know, of course he, he had some offensive line issues, right guard was atrocious. He was dealing with some young receivers. Uh, Jimmy Graham didn't pan out the way that was expected. There's a lot of caveats here, but he did miss some open throws. Uh, he held on to the ball way too long. He, uh, had to unload the ball out of bounds more than any other quarterback in the league. And there were a lot of telling statistics that tell that he had some real struggles this season. So, so why such a high grade? Both Pro Football Focus and I put a lot of uh, emphasis on big plays and turnovers. And if you have a lot of big plays, a lot of exciting plays, a lot of plays that are going to help your team win football games, those are going to be graded highly in the positive. And if you have a lot of turnovers, obviously those are going to be you know largely negative plays. But if you avoid turnovers, if you uh, avoid those turnover plays, you're not going to end up with very many negative grades. So when you add everything together, You've got Aaron Rodgers, who we've all seen the spectacular from him. Even when he struggled with some of the you know intricate details, um, he still is making these fantastic, amazing throws. And, and with that comes very high grades. And we also know that he is completely 
you know, allergic to turning over the football in any way, shape or form. And he did have some plays that should have resulted in turnovers that didn't. And those graded negatively. It's not, you know, it doesn't matter that the the defender dropped an interception or that his own teammate recovered the fumble. That's still a negative for him, both when pro football focus and I grade those, but by far and away, he had way more positive plays than he did negative plays. And then kind of just to cap things off with Aaron Rodgers. It's really tough to tell the, you know, it's impossible to tell what his progression is supposed to be and what his first read on a play is supposed to be. There are a lot of plays where receivers are open that he didn't see them. And I can't negative negatively grade him on that because I don't know where he's supposed to look. If he's got a receiver that's wide open on the left side and his first read is to the right side, and then he comes back in the middle, and then he has to either get rid of the football or he gets sacked or whatever happens, and he never gets to the left side. I can't say that that's a negative. Now, if I see him looking right at the receiver who's open on the left and he doesn't pull the trigger or he throws a bad ball or he throws it out of bounds or whatever, yes, that's going to be a negative grade. But if the guy's wide open and he doesn't see it, I'm not grading that negatively because I can't tell, was he supposed to look left right away? Probably not. If his first read's right, he was probably supposed to read right. Was he supposed to get back over to that, that receiver quicker? Again, that's impossible for me to tell. There was a lot of that that happened throughout the course of the year. And my guess is that he maybe made some wrong reads at the line of scrimmage. My guess is that maybe he was able to, or supposed to get to those progressions quicker. But again, it's impossible for me to say. And without me knowing that, it, it, there's a lot of plays like that that are very tough for me to grade negatively because he just never saw the receiver. So my my hunch would be that there's more fault of his than than what I've graded here. But it, again, it's very difficult for me to downgrade him when I don't exactly know those specific type of scenarios, which is why you see him as my third rated offensive player and rated so highly, you know, even though he had some of those mistakes and miscues over the course of the season. Moving along. Uh, so highest graded defensive players. Uh, again, my top five here. Number one, Kenny Clark. No surprise. Number two, Jair Alexander. Number three, Mike Daniels. Number four, Kyler Fackrell. And number five, Tremont Williams. And I should mention here, there were big gaps. So on on the top five on offense, you know, you pretty much had five players who were rated very high, although Adams, Bakhtiari, and Rodgers were were pretty, you know, decently higher than the next set, which was Lindsley and Jones. On the defensive side, Kenny Clark was by far and away the highest. In fact, he was almost twice as highly rated as Jair Alexander was. So that kind of tells you the gap. You then had the next tier, if you kind of look at it as tier two, which is Jair Alexander and Mike Daniels. And then tier three was really Kyler Fackrell. Tier four was almost Tremont Williams. And then you had pretty much everyone else who graded either neutral or negative. So you're really looking at a a defense that only had five players that really graded in, in any sort of positive manner. Kenny Clark, great. Jair Alexander, good, but did have a little bit of a, a rookie wall that he hit. Mike Daniels, good, but not as spectacular as he's been in the past. And of course, once he got hurt, uh, that you know certainly limited you know how high his grade was going to be able to get. Tyler Fackrell, solid, but not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. But if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that he would have been the fourth highest rated defender, I probably would have just about fallen over or said that something went horribly wrong, but he had a really nice season overall. This is not just because the defense struggled as a whole. He did have a nice season. And then Tremont Williams is number five. And again, he was mostly a slightly above average grade. It was mostly neutral. 
Um, but he he does rank, rank as the fifth-rated defender. And when I kind of go back to saying there were eight players that are really good on this team, you had the five offensive players, Adams, Bakhtiari, Rogers, Lindsley, and Jones, and then the three defensive players, Clark, Alexander, and Daniels. And if you want to, you know, put them in tiers, I say there's four players that have the ability to be, you know, great. That would be Clark, Rogers, Bakhtiari, and Adams. And then four at this time that are really, really good. And that would be Lindsley, Jones, Jair Alexander and Mike Daniels. And then once you get after that, again, it, it starts to take a little bit more of a dive from a rating standpoint. Moving along, uh, my lowest graded offensive players, Byron Bell was by far and away the lowest. I mean, al- almost twice as bad as the next rated player who was Justin McCray. Number three was Jimmy Graham. Number four, Jason Spriggs. And number five, Lucas Patrick. So four offensive linemen and Jimmy Graham. And this should not come as too much of a surprise here, especially on the offensive line side. There's been a lot of talk about Lane Taylor and Brian Bulaga. For the most part, they were neutral or positive grades throughout the majority of the year. Lane Taylor had a middle part of the season. The Rams was a big game with Aaron Donald and Sue where he really struggled. Most people do against that interior. He had a few games in that range where he played poorly. No questions asked. But his beginning of the season, his end of the season, and all of last year was really solid. And if you put it all together, he was a a net positive. Brian Bulaga, same thing. Last year, before he got hurt, he struggled, struggled earlier in the year a little bit. But he, uh, you know, when he was healthy this year and and at the end of the year, he played. In fact, he was my highest graded player in the last game of the season. So a lot being talked about with Lane Taylor and Brian Bulaga. They were both solid. David Bakhtiari was great. Corey Lindsley was great. That offensive line, those four out of five were were winning performances for the most part. Again, there were blips in the radar from Taylor and blips in the radar from Bulaga, but for the most part, winning performances. That right guard position was a nightmare. Byron Bell was atrocious, and I and I, I don't say that lightly. He was atrocious. Um, a negative 13.5 grade, by far and away the worst grade of anyone on the entire team. No one else was even in a negative 10, and he didn't even start every game. So that just kind of gives you an idea. And then the next lowest rated player was his backup or the other player who played right guard, Justin McRae. So, I mean, you put those two together, they're negative 20, above negative 20, just those two combined. And then, oh, by the way, the other player that played guard, Lucas Patrick, the fifth lowest graded player. And then Jason Spriggs, the guy who took Ryan Bulaga's spot and played a little for Bakhtiari, was the fourth lowest graded player. So you had the four guys on the top of the offensive line that for the most part played well, or in fact, most of the time were great. And then it was a nightmare at right guard, or if anyone else had to play, it was a complete major issue. And, and one of the reasons this team really struggled, I think if you just got even mediocre play at right guard, that they would have been in a position to, to throw the ball better, to Aaron Rodgers would have been better, they would have ran the ball better. It was that bad that that was the biggest, most glaring issue on this entire team was right guard. And to be fair, uh, and uh, you know, this is something that I, I called out before the season even started because Justin McCray last year was my lowest graded player. And if you pop on any Byron Bell tape that you want to look at from the last couple of years, it has always been bad. He had a, a, a couple of years back where he was the left guard for the Titans where it wasn't terrible. It was fine, but pretty much every other aspect of his career has been really, really tough. So I, I didn't like that move. And, and that was something that they regretted. And that's something that they're going to absolutely have to look at as uh, this offseason moves along because they cannot go into this offseason with Lucas Patrick, Justin McCray, or Byron Bell at right guard. Although I do like Alex Light and I do think he has a possibility to be a player as time goes on. 
But uh, Jimmy Graham, my other lowest-rated player there, never caught on. And really the first half of the season-ish, I kind of gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, not necessarily with my grades, but when I was kind of analyzing him, you know, tight ends haven't exactly come in and set the world on fire with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and Mike McCarthy as, as the play caller. And uh, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but his blocking never improved. He was never the red zone threat that he was supposed to be. Struggled with run after the catch, and he just didn't have any dynamic ability left. And at the end of the day, he was mostly an overpaid decoy. He did suck defenders in from time to time. Uh, that He did add some value there, but he just never paid off the price that they paid for him. And uh, there was some effort plays that I certainly question, especially when it comes to blocking. And, uh, you know, he was never really, you know, known as a blocker coming in. So Green Bay didn't do him any favors by, you know, consistently lining him up in line. And the one last thing I'll say about that is recently Mercedes Lewis and Martellus Bennett were on, I believe it was Yahoo Sports, and they were talking about the Packers offense. And both of them kind of talked about how this this offense does the tight ends no favors. And while I'm no uh, Martellus Bennett fan, in fact, I think a lot of people on the podcast kind of uh, joke that he is he who shall not be named. Uh, I completely agree with both of them in this situation. This offense does the tight ends no favors. I can't tell you how many times they just have to run flats, uh, flat routes, uh, you know, or they have to run, you know, crossers over the middle. And unless you're a a dynamic athlete that's running away from linebackers, you're not setting them up for success. And uh, there was a lot to be desired from the way that Jimmy Graham played, but there was not a lot of situations in which this offense set those players up to be successful either. Taking a look at the lowest graded defensive players, we knew that on offense that the trend here was guard while the trend here was edge rusher and safety. So my lowest three graded players, Clay Matthews was number one, Nick Perry was number two, Reggie Gilbert was number three. So my three lowest graded players, all edge rushers, that just goes to show uh, how valuable Kyler Fackrell actually was. My three lowest graded players were edge rushers. The only other edge rusher on the team before they promoted Donerson was Fackrell, and he was my fourth highest rated player. So a massive gap there between Fackrell and the rest of the edge rushers. Uh, meanwhile, the the next two lowest graded players were Kentrell Bryce and HaHa Clinton Dix. Even though you know Kentrell Bryce uh, you know dealt with some injuries and was benched at times, and HaHa Clinton Dix obviously was traded to the Washington Redskins. Those were my five lowest graded players for the year. And uh, it's certainly time to move on from from Matthews and Perry. Clay just doesn't have it anymore. He cannot be a consistent edge rusher. Nick Perry never was healthy this year. And uh, his price tag is just way too high at this point to justify what he brings to a team. Reggie Gilbert never panned out. Um, I think uh, Ben Fennell, when we had him on earlier in the season, did a great job of really, uh, you know, warning Packer fans, I guess, to say, listen, he's done a nice job in preseason, but his physical limitations are real and his ceiling is going to be severely limited based on that. And and he was spot on in that analysis in preseason. And uh, he, again, just never panned out the way that a lot of people had hoped for. And then again, Kentrell Bryce, HaHa Clinton Dix, Green Bay was wise to get the fourth round pick for HaHa when they could. And Kentrell Bryce is another player who has likely played his last down as a Packer. Some uh, quick highest rated individual games on offense. My top two, Aaron Rodgers in week two against the Vikings and Devontae Adams in week six against the 49ers. A lot of lot made out of Aaron Rodgers in the comeback against the 49ers in week six, but Devontae Adams, a huge chunk of that game, especially uh, you know when it was on the line, was him willing that team to victory. That was a massive performance by him. And I think Aaron Rodgers' week two performance against the Vikings would have gotten a little bit more attention had it not been for the the Clay Matthews penalty and the missed field goal and the 
crazy overtime game that led to a tie. So really impressive performance there. And then on defense, two performances actually against the Rams. If you remember, the top one was Kenny Clark and the, the other one was Jair Alexander. If you remember, that was the Alexander game where he basically you know, shut down Brandon Cooks for the game and just had a fantastic game. And then Kenny Clark was really dominant in that game as well, really helped shut down the run and uh, you know, really brought a, a you know, an attacking uh, presence from the center of that field in that game that really helped keep Green Bay in the game. So two big performances from that game on defense. My lowest rated individual games on offense, the three lowest games were all from Byron Bell. Week eight against the Rams, week nine against the Patriots, and week five against the Lions. Meanwhile, on defense, my lowest rated games were week one against the Bears for Clay Matthews and week five against the Lions for Ha Ha Clinton Dix. So uh, that Clay Matthews game against the Bears, first of all, he was basically a no-show throughout the entirety of that game. And then uh, at the very end of the game, if you remember, uh, you know, the Packers had forced a four and out, but on that fourth down, he got a roughing the passer penalty. That one was actually legitimate, unlike the, the two and subsequent weeks that he had. And uh, really gave the Bears second life and uh, easily could have led to a loss uh, because they did get that second life. Fortunately, Green Bay was able to hold to another four and out, but Clay Matthews did the team no favors in that game. The next stat I wanted to take a look at were my highest rated players per snap. So before we went over my highest and lowest graded players just overall, but I wanted to also take a look at my highest and lowest rated overall players on a per snap basis. Cause of course we know some players didn't come in until later in the season. Uh, you know, some people got injured. So who are the highest and lowest graded players on a per snap basis? I did put a minimum requirement that they had to play at least a hundred snaps. So top five on offense, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, and interestingly enough, Ty Montgomery was number five. Um, Aaron Jones being number one here, not a super shock. Anytime he had the opportunity to touch the ball, he was pretty dynamic. And uh, again, you know, people were clamoring for him to touch the ball more often. And when he did, again, usually great things happen. So we'd love to see him get the ball more in Matt LaFleur's offense. And I think that's definitely something that's coming. Highest rated defensive players on a person that basis, top five, Kenny Clark, number one, Mike Daniels, number two, Jair Alexander, number three, Ibrahim Campbell, number four. Interestingly enough, he barely made that hundred snap threshold, but he did. And he graded positively in each of the three games that he played in. He's an unrestricted free agent, but Green Bay, I think would be wise to bring him back on a, you know, fairly veteran minimum deal and, uh, you know, kind of take a look and see what they might have in him going forward because he played some, some pretty nice football when he was, when he was there and before he got hurt. And then Kyler Fackrell was number five on defense on a per snap basis. Going back to Ty Montgomery really quick. Uh, he also barely met the hundred snap threshold. And, uh, I think had he played the 500, 600 snaps, he would have come down to earth a little bit. Uh, he, he played well, uh, you know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he didn't do anything negative, which is why he was in that uh, range for, you know, top rated players on a per snap basis. Again, had he played more snaps, he would have averaged out or again, had that fumble from the special teams play been uh, averaged in there. He definitely would not be on that list. Lowest graded players on a per snap basis. Byron Bell still takes the award here. Jason Spriggs, two. Justin McCray, three. Lucas Patrick, four. And then I think the one that stands out a little bit here is Mercedes Lewis at number five. People were kind of clamoring all year for more Mercedes Lewis. 
And uh, the truth is he didn't really deserve a ton more snaps. And that's something I'd kind of been saying for a while and, and, and kind of posting in my grades from week to week is that when he did get in, he didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. And he was never a pass receiving threat. And I think the argument could be made, well, yeah, but that's not what he was brought in for, which is absolutely true. But when he was in as a blocker, he was completely Jekyll and Hyde. And I will give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and the fact that when you're only playing five to eight snaps a game and you're coming in cold and you're never playing you know, more than two in a row, it's tough to come in in those situations and then match up with a defensive lineman and try to be a dominant run blocker, right? So I think there's a part of that that plays a part here. If he would have been getting consistent snaps, uh, it, maybe it would have been a little bit better. But there were plays where he goes out and he just mauls the player that's in front of him. But there are a way more than a handful of plays where he completely whiffs on the block or the, the player across from him just cleanly beats him. So very Jekyll and Hyde as a blocker, brought nothing to the table as a pass receiver. And uh, again, just didn't really do anything to deserve any more snaps than what he was getting. Lowest graded players on defense on a per snap basis. Biggest one here, Nick Perry, by far and away was the lowest graded player on a per snap basis. Reggie Gilbert was number two. Haha Clinton Dix, number three. Clay Matthews, number four. And Jermaine Whitehead, number five. Two of these players have already been moved on from Haha Clinton Dix and Jermaine Whitehead. We will keep an eye on Nick Perry, Reggie Gilbert, and Clay Matthews as the offseason goes along. My highest rated game as a total offense was against the Vikings in week two. Again, I think this would be something that would have been pointed out a little bit more had the game ended a little bit better. Green Bay did leave some points on the board, uh, but they graded out very well as a whole in that game on offense. And then their highest rated game on defense was week four against the Bills. Of course, the shutout, uh, they really played fantastic and really won that game with, you know, without the offense really needing to do a whole heck of a lot. So those are the two top performances um, as a whole. My lowest graded games total offense was week 17 against the Lions. No surprise there. Deshaun Kaiser played most of the game even before Kaiser. The offense did nothing. Uh, They struggled to get a first down, much less get a point. So that was the lowest graded game on offense. And then the, the two lowest grades on defense, number one was the Vikings game in week two that went to overtime and they ended up tying it's a little bit of a tough grade because they graded out well on defense prior to uh, the the Clay Matthews penalty after Jair Alexander had the interception taken away. They did have some plays where they gave up some some touchdowns that they should not have, which is why this is low as well. If you remember, Adam Thielen had a touchdown between defenders and Devon House got completely toasted for a touchdown. So there were some plays here that that were definitely some really low graded plays, but had that play ended with the Jair Alexander interception, the way that it was supposed to, it probably wouldn't have been the lowest graded and they really kind of collapsed after that point. Um, but the, the other game that stood out was week 16 against the Jets. Jets not exactly known for their high power offense. They were dealing with injuries. They had basically kind of packed it in for the season and they really showed no signs of stopping the Jets, especially early in that game. So those are the two lowest graded games on defense. Taking a look at the most games played without a negative grade, Mike Daniels had the most games. He's, he played in all 10 games, and he didn't have a negative grade in any of them. Um, Kenny Clark had one negative grade. He had a fantastic season, um, but he uh, uh, Daniels had the you know was the only player really with um, you know almost uh, you know or at least 10 games without you know a single negative grade. The next highest was Ibrahim Campbell, who played in three games and again did not have a single negative grade. As, as a game. Of course, he had negative grades uh, within those games, but as a, a total game grade, uh, they both, again, Daniels had 10 games without grading in the negative and Campbell had three. 
Most games played without a positive grade. Again, this is through the entirety of a game. Byron Bell played in 10 games and did not have a single positive grade in any of them. And Lucas Patrick played in five games and he did not have a single positive grade in any of the games that he played in. So those were the two biggest streaks there. Um, most games uh, in total played with a positive grade. Devontae Adams played in 14 games uh, that he had a positive grade in. He had one negative, so he played in 14 out of 15 with a positive grade. And David Bakhtiari had 13 games in which he had a positive grade in. On defense, Kenny Clark had 12, so 12 total games with a positive grade. And then Mike Daniels, Jair Alexander, and Tremont Williams all had 10 games with positive grades. Most games with a negative grade on offense, Jimmy Graham had 12, Byron Bell had 10. And then most games with a negative grade on defense, Reggie Gilbert was in the lead with 14, Clay Matthews with 13, and Josh Jackson with 11. Some of the uh, top-rated players over the course of the last two seasons combined. So kind of interesting this year, I had two seasons of data to go off of. So, you know, again, combining scores through 2017 and 2018, Devontae Adams was my top-rated player, followed by Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, and then Corey Lindsley. On defense, it was Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels. Jair Alexander is in third, even though he was only here for one season. Morgan Burnett in fourth, even though he was only here for last season. And interestingly enough, Demarius Randall in fifth, again, even though he was only here for last season alone. On the flip side, the lowest-graded players combined over the course of the last two seasons Justin McRae was my lowest, Jason Spriggs my second lowest, followed by Byron Bell, Lance Kendricks, and then Jimmy Graham. Again, Graham and Bell only here for the one seasons, and they still made the list. And then lowest graded players on defense. My lowest graded player was HaHa Clinton Dix. I won't be a surprise to many of you who follow me regularly. Kentrell Bryce was number two, Nick Perry was three, Josh Jones was four, and Reggie Gilbert was five. My most improved player from 2017 to 2018, uh, really the top two are Brian Bulaga and Kyler Fackrell. Bulaga didn't play much. Uh, if you remember in 2017, he played early in the year and he really struggled. You could tell he was dealing with injuries, didn't play well while well, he had a positive grade this year. It wasn't a massive positive grade, but he had about a plus four this year, a negative five last year. So a, a overall a nine point increase from last year to this year. And then Kyler Fackrell, who Again, uh, had a really nice year this year, graded well in the negative last year, uh, an eight-point increase for him from 2017 to 2018. The largest regression from 2017 to 2018, the biggest by far was Clay Matthews. So, you know, again, for people who just think that I'm maybe picking on these players or that I have a a grudge with somebody, Clay Matthews was one of my higher-rated players on defense last year. He was for sure in my top five. I want to say in my top three from a season ago. And uh, he was my lowest rated player on defense this season as a whole. So, you know, again, I I thought he played really well in 2017. You could tell that there was a regression and he took another step back from 2017 to 2018, a 15 point, basically 14.8 point regression from last year to this year. So a really big decline there. Nick Perry was number two. Randall Cobb was number three, Aaron Rodgers was number four, and Lane Taylor was number five. And if you really want to know why the Packers really struggled this season, even with a you know mostly healthy Aaron Rodgers throughout the course of the year, this is really one of the biggest areas. Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, Randall Cobb, Aaron Rodgers, Lane Taylor, five players that they are counting on quite a bit uh, to be impact players for this team, make a, a huge amount of money. And uh, all five of them saw major declines just from last year to this year. 
And to be fair, you know, Aaron Rodgers had a very high grade from last year, which is why his, you know, was, was coming down so much from, from last year. Taking a look at the 2018 draft class and kind of some of how, you know, how their grades went. So kind of evaluating Brian Gutekunst here a little bit. It started off great, Jair Alexander with a plus seven, but then Josh Jackson basically with a negative five, Oren Burks with a negative one, Jamon Moore with a negative two, Cole Madison, of course, never showed up. J.K. Scott, I didn't grade because he was on special teams. Mark Quesveld is Scantling, a negative two. Equinemius St. Brown, a negative one. James Looney, negative one half. Uh, Hunter Bradley, a special teams player. And then Kendall Donerson never played any snaps on defense. So the total grade was a negative 4.4. Again, hit the home run with Jair Alexander. Certainly a lot of positives and a lot of great signs from MVS and Equinemius St. Brown. I think those are really nice picks considering you're looking at fifth and sixth rounders there. But a lot to be desired from Josh Jackson. Played a ton of snaps, but got beat a lot and was playing out of position a bit. Um, you know, they're going to be looking for him to make a, a jump in season two. And then Oren Burks, Jamon Moore, Cole Madison. I think that, and you know, even if you want to go further to J.K. Scott, the one after that, I think those are the four that there's a lot of concern with. You know, Burks, this team needed impact from inside linebacker, and and Burks never really got on track. Same thing at receiver. I mean, Jamon Moore was quickly beat out by MVS and Equinemius St. Brown, uh, and they got the opportunities before Moore did. And then, uh, you know, Jake Kumaro came back. Kumaro got more snaps than Jamon Moore did, so... Moore was, you know, pretty buried on the depth chart late in the season. And again, I'm not putting this grade on him here because I don't grade special teams, but late in the season, they give him a chance as a kick returner and he fumbles. So he is a player that I liked coming out of college. He has a lot of talent, you know, personally compared him to Devontae Adams. And hopefully, you know, Devontae Adams had a really nice first season. So of course that doesn't fit apples to apples, but, you know, hopefully he fits that mold where he, you know, struggles at one point, but then breaks out because Green Bay needs him to be an impact player. And and this year he certainly was not. So, but overall first round, you know, Jair Alexander, really nice pick. And then a lot of question marks after that. 2018 free agency class. So, you know, really in this group, Muhammad Wilkerson, Tremont Williams, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis, Byron Bell, those were the main free agent signings. Um, you had Bashad Breland who got signed after the free agent period. And then Jake Kumaro, who technically was signed, you know, before the free agency period. I kind of put all of those though into one group. Wilkerson graded as a neutral player before he got hurt. Tough to evaluate him. Bashad Breland graded as a neutral player. Tremont Williams, a slightly positive. Jake Kumaro was a neutral. And then, you know, Mercedes Lewis, we already touched base on negative grade and, and one of the lowest graded players on a person that basis. Jimmy Graham, my third lowest rated player, and Byron Bell, my lowest graded player. So as a total, they graded out as almost a negative 20. And, uh, you know, had it not been for the the real positive, you know, contribution from Tremont Williams, where he had to, you know, play out a position at safety. And, uh, you know, he did okay at corner. And again, mostly it was a neutral grade. This was a, a pretty tough free agency class. So uh, they were expecting a lot. I think a lot of fans were expecting a lot. I was expecting a lot, especially out of that tight end position with the addition of Graham and Lewis and Unfortunately, it just never really, never really paid off at all. So that brings us to the 2019 unrestricted free agents. So Green Bay has a lot of big names and a lot of players that will be on this list of players that are free agents going into this offseason. Some of the big names here, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, Muhammad Wilkerson, Mercedes Lewis, Lance Kendricks, Byron Bell, Devon House, Bashad Breland, Eddie Pleasant, Ibrahim Campbell, Jake Ryan, and Dan Vitale. Those are the players who are unrestricted free agents. They also have some restricted and some exclusive rights free agents, but these are the unrestricted players. As a whole, that group was a negative almost 31 in grades. 
In fact, the only positives were, well, Ibrahim Campbell, who I mentioned earlier, graded as a slight positive in the three small games that he played in. Bashad Breland and Muhammad Wilkerson were ever so slight positives, but again, basically neutral grades. And the rest were graded in the negative. And that includes, you know, as we touch base on, you know, Byron Bell, who had a horrible year. Clay Matthews was my lowest graded defender. Mercedes Lewis, Lance Kendricks, Randall Cobb, who graded close to neutral, but a slight negative grade. And really, you know, Jake Ryan, of course, didn't play the season. He'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. But there's not a lot of players here that they should really be super excited about excited about bringing back, and especially especially if they are, are demanding a high level contract. As I mentioned, I'd be looking to bring back Campbell on a low level deal. I you know I wouldn't be against bringing back Wilkerson, but they're they're pretty stacked at defensive line already, so I, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people really like Bashad Breland. He had, he had a pretty nice. Uh, you know, overall few games that he that he played in, he had the nice pick six, although it was kind of a little bit of a gift from Matt Ryan, but it's still a nice play on the ball there. But he was a net neutral player. And I think he's he's the kind of player that if you're late in free agency and then he's still out there and you didn't get to draft any corners and maybe one of your corners got hurt and he's still out there and you can get him go get him because he can help your team in that situation. But if you're looking at a four to six to 8 million a year type player for Brashad Breland, you know, anything much more than the league minimum, uh, you know, is not something that I'd be super excited about. You know, he has some experience in the defense. Now, if you want to give him a two to $3 million deal, I'm not going to be super against it. Uh, But again, he didn't show enough to me that he has much value in and above that. So another player to be, you know, to keep an eye on, but this free agency class that the Packers have, all in all, they would be very wise to kind of move on from the vast majority of these players. Last but not least is uh, some of the players, you know, one of the things I get to do is is take a look at pro football focuses grades. And I don't do that through the season because I don't want any bias to creep in. I don't want to be like, oh crap, I'm six weeks in and, and they have this player rated really high and I have them really, you know, rated really low. And uh, then I try to course correct or something. So I very much try to avoid their grades. Well, finally, at the end of the season, I got to compare where our grades were at. And there were about five players that I was higher on than Pro Football Focus was. Uh, Those five players were Corey Lindsley, Jair Alexander, Mike Daniels, Lane Taylor, and Tony Brown. And none of them were we really far off on. You know, I would have expected Lindsley to have a slightly higher grade. Same with Jair, same with Mike Daniels, although Mike Daniels was, was not that far off at all. Tony Brown was one that I think we were were pretty different on. A neutral grade for them is around a 60. Uh, They had him at a 48.8, and uh, I had him at a a pretty neutral grade, a negative 0.55. So again, a little bit of a difference there, but none of those were too far off. But again, I was higher on Lindsley, Alexander, Daniels, Taylor, and Brown than they were. On the flip side, they had about eight players ish that they were that they were higher on than what I was. So those players were Dean Lowry. And Tyler Lancaster, Blake Martinez, Jason Spriggs, HaHa Clinton Dix, Justin McCray, Reggie Gilbert, and Clay Matthews. I was pretty significantly lower on on Matthews as well as Martinez and on HaHa Clinton Dix. And uh, you know, one of the things that I did is midway through the season, I did get word because people were pointing out to me that you know I had HaHa Clinton Dix as my lowest graded player at the time, and they had HaHa Clinton Dix as their second or third highest rated safety. And that's why I really took time on the bye week to take a look at Blake Martinez and take a look at HaHa Clinton Dix, where there were a lot of differing views on. And I really went in depth and I really stood by my grades on both of them. Um, I think HaHa Clinton Dix was a player that 
well, you know, really kind of made the defense worse. I don't, I, I thought by trading them, that was a positive getting the fourth round pick out of it was an insane positive. And he struggled in Washington after they traded him. And you know, the statistics show their defense was much worse after, and you watch some of the tape and he was pretty bad. Redskins fans had some buyer's remorse pretty quickly after that. And again, I want to point out here, I'm a fan of the Packers. I'm a fan of these players. Uh, Clint Dix did some awesome stuff off the field this year. And you know, when I had him as my lowest graded player from a season ago, I was the first to say, I thought Dom Capers defense and how they handled Haha Clinton Dix was a huge part of that. And I thought with Mike Pettin coming in with a more aggressive defense and using him in a variety of different ways, I truly thought we were going to see a, a different Haha Clinton Dix. And through the first half of the season before they traded him, unfortunately, I didn't see that. I saw the same Haha Clinton Dix from a season ago, and he was set to be my lowest graded player on defense again, had he played the full season. So it's uh, it's unfortunate. I wish it would have worked out. I wish he would have lived up to that Pro Bowl expectation. I wish he would have turned it on and flipped the switch when, once Mike Patton came in. He didn't. I think he's going to have a tough time in free agency this year. But again, I, I was never cheering against him. I, I wish that he would have turned things around. He's been awesome off the field. He even did a lot of the stuff off the field in Green Bay after he was traded to Washington. So kudos to him. I wish him the best of luck going forward. But um, again, I stuck by my grade with him and I still stick by my grade on him. And, uh, but again, those were the players that I was lower on than what pro football focus was. And just to recap one more time, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Blake Martinez, Jason Spriggs, Haha Clinton Dix, Justin McRae, Reggie Gilbert, and Clay Matthews. And really the three that stood out a little bit were Haha Clay and Blake. All right. If you stuck with me this far, first of all, uh, thank you. And uh, I greatly appreciate it. I know that wasn't for the faint at heart. If you're interested in, in some of the grades and want to look at them a little bit further without having to rewind and, and re-listen to all of this, the full list of grades, and there's even more detail than what I gave here, that's out on cheeseheadtv.com. If you go to Google and just search for grading the pack end of year review, you will see these grades posted out there on Cheesehead TV. Um, and you can also go out there and within that article is a link to my entire grades for every single player through all of 2018. Um, it'll also link out to all of my grades from 2017. So all of those grades are out there. They're all available for you. The The series as a whole has gotten a lot of great uh, you know, feedback on Cheesehead TV. So if you've read it throughout the year, thank you so much. Uh, and again, I appreciate you listening through this podcast today while I had the opportunity to go through those grades. That does it for today's episode. I think I think that definitely does it for today's episode. Jake Morley and Ross Uglum will be on tomorrow breaking down the play of the quarterbacks this year. They'll go obviously in depth on that position and then we'll do running backs and so on and so forth as the week goes on and into next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Scotty Sports. Find my writing at Cheesehead TV. Again, this article can be found by searching grading the pack end of year review. But until next time, thanks so much for listening. And as always, Go Pack Go. From the 16 of New York, first down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end. And a dagger! They beat Morris Claiborne to the back line of the end zone. The Packers have won it. Snap. To Wild. Oh, yes! And taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown! Geronimo it was by Geronimo Allison! Josh Jackson, the rookie, recovers in the end zone in a Lambo lead to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down.
three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and Seven yards! 